Born in North Carolina, based in Bellingham, Washington. Broadcast on WHUPLP. This is Dirty White Bell Radio. Innovative, often duplicated. When enough people get on the trend, I elevate it. Make it way harder for them to follow what I take. It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea. Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up. So just take your stuff, rake it up, and take the bus. Never fake the funk, you painted skunks. You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space, so the weight is up. This is Dirty White Belt Radio, stories about jiu-jitsu life and culture. Jameel Hill-Taylor is a rising star in the jiu-jitsu world. He's young, he's talented, he's a black belt world champion, and he's just getting started. When he was at Checkmat Charlotte for a seminar this past week, Lourdes took the chance to interview the soon-to-be graduate of Howard University about his proudest achievement so far, about his toughest competition at Worlds, and what he really thinks about yoga. But two of my favorite topics they cover in this interview are the woman black belt teammate that he thinks is the next world champion for sure, and the importance of youth outreach programs in jiu-jitsu. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play so you don't miss anything. And if you want to get a hold of us to suggest future show topics or interview subjects, you can email Jeff at DirtyWhiteBelt.com, or you can get at us on Instagram at DirtyWhiteBelt or on our Facebook page. Here's Lourdes with our featured interview with Jameel Hill-Taylor. U.S. Grappling comes back to Richmond on July 28th. Richmond is always one of my favorite places to visit and to compete. Tons of great gyms there. Seth Smith's Upstream BJJ, Richmond BJJ with Eric Burdo and Liz Susson, and of course Revolution BJJ featuring such luminaries as Andrew Smith, Daniel Charles Frank, Trey Martin, Jarrett Church, many, many others. All of those folks are likely to be on the scene July 28th when U.S. Grappling returns to Richmond. Plus, all your friends from the DMV usually come down, as well as everybody from the Triangle, from Wilmington, really tough grapplers from North Carolina. It's a great spot to train with and compete against people that you don't always get the chance. So come out and have the best tournament experience around at usgrappling.com. Register early to save some money and to make the tournament run smoother. Hopefully we'll see you there. Hey, Jamil. So, Jamil, you just won um, the IBJJF World Championship. Um, 2018. And, um, and you're also about to graduate from Howard University. Congratulations. Thank you. So I would actually be interested in knowing what you would consider one of your greatest accomplishments or what are you most proud of thus far? Definitely, it would be this past world championship, definitely. That's like the, the epitome of what I've been working towards since I started doing jiu-jitsu. So for me to be able to achieve that title my second year at Black Belt, it's, it's a big deal for me. Other than that, if I were to like, if you would ask me this question before Worlds, I would say my first world title as a juvenile like means the most to me other than this one just because that was the the first one and it took me three years to get my first juvenile title i got second third and then in my last year of juvenile i was able to win so that one that one meant a lot to me for it to be my first world title since you're going to howard and howard's definitely like a um a very prestigious school and how you balance school and jujitsu? Like I'm guessing, and you, we talked last night about your course loads, and that you have an intense course load with like 16 to 18 credit hours. How do you make that balance between the two of them? Um, 
for me, it never really felt like I had to sit down and actually balance myself. I was used to training full-time and doing school from a young age, so for me, it was just like the normal thing to do, take the, as many classes as I can so I can graduate the quickest, and it, I would never let it affect my training time. So for me, it didn't really feel like I had to balance or anything like that, but for me, I, don't have, I didn't have that big of a, a social life. I didn't go out a lot. So, but what would happen if, like, the coach had plans for you to maybe do, do a certain type of training uh, tomorrow, and but you find out today that you have an exam for tomorrow, like a, a pop quiz or something like that, and then you now you have to study. Like, what? how did that work? Well, in situations like that, I may have to miss whatever the next training is, but I'd always make that time back up. Okay. So I would never, very rarely did I actually end up in a situation like that. I did a good job of communicating with my teachers early on, telling them what I was doing and letting them know that I'll be out of town certain weekends and sometimes I'll have to give you assignments earlier if they would let me. Sometimes I have to do assignments a little bit later. And a lot of my professors, like most of them actually were, were understanding what I was doing and they were allowing me to do work earlier, take a, a test at a different time, whether it be early or, or later than the regular test day so I could so I can go to travel and I can go to tournaments and I can train if I needed to really make a training. So my professors really did a good job of, of helping me and assisting me knowing what I was doing and, and believing that I wasn't just saying anything to get out of class. Did they know what jiu-jitsu was or did you have to educate them on it? or, or like Because so, it sounds like they were being pretty receptive. Did, were they aware of, of what it was that you were actually chasing and working towards? Um, most of them know. A few of them knew what I was doing, but... Even the ones that didn't, like when I presented it to them, I told them what I was doing. They could tell that I wasn't just making stuff up, and they could see how serious I was about it. That I would come to them like the second the semester started and explain to them how my schedule is going to have to be for me to be able to succeed in my training and in in school. Um, so one of the questions that uh, that uh, actually that that CJ Murdoch, who you talked to today and you were training with today. One of the questions he had for you to, was, what separates you from other featherweights? Um, I think featherweight's pretty diverse, honestly. Well, with my, the way I see jiu-jitsu, I think a lot of guys that are in featherweight now, we all, a lot of us started as kids. So experience, I wouldn't say, is a big thing. But I think it's uh, the type of training that I do with my team and that team, whatever, we do a very a very good like training schedule and the way we train is really beneficial for me specifically and for the rest of the team as well so I think that may play a part other than that it would just be my openness to to go to any position and to do anything because I, I feel like I'm comfortable and I'm confident in every position in jiu-jitsu so for me I never had felt like I had to be in certain positions to win you know so I I, I wouldn't say like nothing really sets me apart that I can just name it myself but like to the eye, I guess everyone says that I, I look different when I compete. I, I have a different demeanor and approach to jiu-jitsu that a lot of a lot of other competitors, not just in featherweights, have. And I think that just comes from I really love the sport since I started. So I really studied the sport and was looking at it from a fan's perspective and as a competitor. And up until like this year, I watch every match and I just try to learn as much as I can. So I think that played a big part in my upbringing in jiu-jitsu. Um, today at the seminar, one of the things I found interesting is you were mentioning how at um, when you do go to these tournaments, like when you do go to Worlds or when you're at PANS, that you don't just watch the black belt matches. You're watching from the juvenile to the white belt all the way 
through every belt up to the um, even even the women's matches you're watching and you're always learning um, something. Um, can you talk a little bit about that about people or about what it's like to train with with maybe like lower belts and how you accommodate or how you're able to adjust your training so that um, you're so that you're always learning, you're always benefiting from whatever situation or scenario you're you're putting yourself in. Yeah, I feel like at our at, in my training room at our gym we have like the most diverse and and because of that the best training room you could have we have juveniles or kids that are kids man's champs juvenile world champions juvenile medalists all the way from every belt white all the way up to black belt we have medalists champions we have hard working athletes so for me i'll train i train with everybody I, i i don't never go in there and say i'm not training with this person especially because of their belt or anything like that I respect everyone's jiu-jitsu and I respect that everyone's working hard and we're all trying to reach the same goal. So for that, I think that's one of the reasons why I can go to the tournament and appreciate the white belt jiu-jitsu, the blue belt jiu-jitsu, and actually learn from it and, and recognize the names of the athletes that are killing it and, and really like learn from them still all the way up from white belt all the way up to juveniles, the blue, purple, brown, black. I'm able to watch the matches and still learn because... I know I have teammates that are blue belts that can go in there and we'll go at it, you know, and we have white belts that are learning and they're grinding and we can go at it and we can train and I train with everybody. So at the tournament, I'm not just watching my teammates. I watch everybody. If I see a match and it looks like the guys are good or if I know the guy's good, because I actually know a lot of the lower belt competitors and I I keep track. So if I know it's going to be a good match or I think it's going to be a good match, I'm there, I'm watching it. And a lot of my teammates do the same thing. We watch everybody. We talk about everybody like, oh, did you see this guy? He may have been a white belt. Like, man, did you see that? Did you see this? And we all use that to help us learn way before we fight. Um, so who do you think your toughest competition is um, in your division this year? Man, it, it's, at this year of Worlds, my, my toughest fight would be between the last two with uh, – Pascal, Leo Segorio, and Marcio Andre. They both were, like, great competitors that I've watched. Marcio's always been, like, a belt ahead of me, so I always got to watch him at win his Brown Belt World title. I got to watch him at Purple Belt, and I got to watch him his first year at, when he competed at Black. So I was able to watch him and, and study and be able to learn from him as well as Pascal. Pascal's been doing it for a long time, meddling and fighting hard and beating people that are good. And so for those... Those were the two matches that would be that were my toughest at Worlds, but I had all tough matches. I didn't get any submissions that this year at Worlds, so all my fights were really tough. All the competitors were really tough, and as far as in general, as featherweight as a whole, there's a lot of guys that are tough. Honestly, featherweight's a really stacked division. We got Gianni, who's a super tough competitor. Cachinho, super tough. We got uh, Gilson Nunes, super tough. Rafael Mansur, super tough. We have I'm, I know I'm forgetting names, but Isaac Jordan, we have him. He's super tough in our division. So it's a lot of tough competitors. So no matter what draw or whatever bracket you get at any tournament, whether it's a major or a local, you're going to have tough fights at featherweight. So I, I really like that, too. I don't want to go in there and have an easy fight, especially at black belt. I want to be able to go to war with everybody and, and try to come out on the winning side of a tough fight every time. What techniques do you wish... Uh what techniques are you working towards right now? Like we talked a little bit about one after the seminar, but what are you? What's one of your focuses right now? Um, overall, just everything. I haven't really been zoning in on one specific technique recently. I, I want to be like hard to scoring from everywhere. 
I want to have a really good takedown defense, and I'm working at that. I have a good takedown defense, but it can always get better. My guard could always get better and improve, and my passing could always improve. So I'm really working on everything right now. I'm just trying to be as dominant as I can. In training, I'm trying to be as dominant as I can. With my drilling, I want to be dominant in everything. So when I go to the tournaments, I can be dominant in there as well. Hey, Jeff Shaw. Yeah, Betsy O'Donovan. Uh, you may have noticed that we are a married couple. I have noticed. This is a scientific fact. We are married. <laughs> and as a married couple, uh, we share a shower, and so I have a confession to make to you. And what's your confession? Um, normally, I like my girly uh, unscented products, but lately I have been using the submission soap that you got from Gold BJJ. I don't blame you. I love that soap. I love the smell of the tea tree oil it has. I love the fact that it's all natural ingredients. I love that it's made right here in the USA out of stuff like tea tree oil, hemp oil, eucalyptus oil, and other ingredients that I can actually understand. Uh, yes, and I think that antifungal thing is especially important for married people because it keeps that mat funk away. Nobody wants the mat funk. I just want a soap <laughs> that's going to keep me on the mat and keep me clean and keep my wife happy. <laughs> it's true. I am also, I got to say, pretty fond of the gold BJJ guarantee. Every product they make, including soap, is guaranteed for a year. They are hassle-free, no questions asked, and they will exchange whatever you send back. Plus, listeners of this show get a discount. If you go to goldbjj.com and enter Dirty White Belt 10 at checkout or go to the link we're going to put in the comments of this show, you can get a discount just for listening. So thanks to Gold BJJ for supporting the show. And please, all of our friends and listeners, support the folks who support us. Um, are there any are there any techniques that you wish that you had started drilling sooner, or is there any any um, movements that you would wish that you had started doing sooner? Not any technical. I wish I focused more on my stretching and and appreciating the benefits of stretching early on. I really ignored my coach's advice to warm up properly and stretch, and I kind of regret that decision because I'm having to play catch up and make sure I stretch now for my body for stuff that's already aching and hurting when I could have been avoiding all these issues. So more so that than a technique that I wish I knew. So, so uh, let's, let me ask you a question about that because you're saying how you, you, you wish that you had maybe done a little bit more stretching when, um, when you know, from or earlier on because now you're playing a little bit catch up with your flexibility. But you also mentioned things like that you don't lift weights. Do you think that later in your life you might you might think that you should have started lifting weights sooner, or do you think that that's just not something that you're really concerned with because of the other like body weight um, exercises or, or drilling that you guys do? Um, I don't feel like weightlifting is 100% necessary. I do see the usefulness in it. I see people really benefiting from it. But for me personally, I don't feel like it's something that if I don't do now, it's going to come back and haunt me. I still do a lot of exercising. I do a lot of body weight, calisthenics, and stuff like that. So I feel like that is enough for me. And if my coach feels like I should start doing weightlifting and they tell me to do so, I will. But for now, we we have our, our exercise schedule, and and I do it. Whether I like, Well, no one really likes to exercise, but I, I like the program that we're on. I like what they have me doing, and I understand it. So I, I do what my coaches tell me to do. If they want me to start doing lifting weights and stuff, then I will. But for right now, when I'm not lifting weights, I've never lifted weights, and I think I'm I'm doing pretty fine. Do you do any yoga? No, I've tried it once, but like with the stretching thing that I didn't used to do, doing yoga was is torture for me. Was it? Yeah, it's it's 100% torture. I've tried it a few times, 
we used to have someone from uh, Brazil, Marcos. He used to do. He was he was a yoga instructor, so he used to teach, have us do yoga at the end of training. I would struggle every time, and like I've I've tried it a few other times since then. It's it's bad for me. I gotta I have to work my way up to be able to do yoga or something like that. So you're like more of a, a yoga for inflexible people type of person. Like if you were to do yoga, it'd be for inflexible people. I'm I'm jujitsu flexible. I can okay. do jujitsu. I can have my feet behind my head. I could be curled up in a ball, but like. When it comes to like yoga and body positioning like that, I, I struggle. It's, it's bad. It looks terrible. So, do you have a technique that you think is underrated that that more pe- that people just don't put enough importance on, and maybe they should be doing? Speaking of, of like flexibility, is there a technique that you think people maybe don't pay enough attention to? Um, I don't think I could p- point out any specific technique that I feel like everyone needs to do. That would be kind of I don't think I'm in a position to, to speak on jiu-jitsu as a whole to say everyone needs to learn this and do this, but um, I don't know. You know, jiu-jitsu kind of goes in waves. People towards the lean towards certain techniques and, and are drawn towards certain things as the years go by. More techniques are innovated and evolved from and, and built on, so I, I can't say that there's something... Like no basic techniques that you're like, this. everybody should know how to do this. Well, I guess it's a lot of a lot of uh, people liking to play guard more so than I see people wanting to play top or stand up. And for me, I like to pull guard as well, but it, it wouldn't hurt every now and again for me to have a good nice stand-up match and be able to go for takedowns and stuff like that. So, But you can't really force that on somebody. It's their, their jiu-jitsu, if they want to play their guard and work their guard, or if they don't really like to do takedowns too much or focus on that, that's on them. I feel everyone should be well-rounded, especially once you get the black belt. But for the most part, it is like that, you know. So I couldn't say that everyone needs to do this or do that. But I feel like everyone should be pretty well-rounded. As you go up in the belt, you should be trying to get more well-rounded. And you have to be honest with yourself and know what you're slacking on and what you're putting more attention to and kind of be able to balance it out so that when you get the black belt, you're not, you're not like a, a low belt level in this certain scenario or in this certain position. You want to be pretty well-rounded, black belt level all across. Well, because one of the things that you said today in your seminar is that you don't always do the things that you want to do. Sometimes you do the things that you don't want to do and that you need to do when it comes to techniques. Yeah, I really I really put a lot of trust into my coaches to, to tell me. I don't always want to be able to go in and your coach tell you just, all right, drill what you've been working on or drill this. I like it when my coaches tell me. They say, you didn't look too sharp here. You need to fix this. So you're going to go do this drill. I, I love it like that. And sometimes I do like to be able to do the drills that I think I need to work on and stuff like that. So it's a good mix of both. I like it when my coach tells me, like, they have something for me to work on because that shows that they see something I need to improve on that I may not see, and I, I work on it. So even if it's not a technique that I like to do, say they have me doing uh, 100 reps of a takedown defense that I just don't want to do, I still do it, and I still understand why, even though it may not be the funnest drill or the – the the my favorite drill to do you know I still do it and I understand why and I respect my coaches opinions on why they tell me to do the drills they tell me to do and when I do my free time drills oftentimes I end up doing the drills that my coaches told me to do anyway because I, I did it and I trust that their system that they have me on what's the free time drills free time is like they say drill what you've been working on so not everyone's doing the same drill sometimes we have drilling and everyone's doing what the coach specifically told them they should work on it. You may have two or three people doing the same thing, but it's based on 
a mistake they may have made at a tournament or a question they may have had or somewhere where they they felt that they needed help in their even in their training role. So when we do like our free time drilling, that's your time to to work on a new position you've been working on or trying to add into your game versus working on something you need to to uh, really sharpen. You get to be more free and and work on a new move and maybe something crazy and maybe a flying arm bar or something like that. That's your time to work on those kind of techniques. Which of the which of your female teammates is going to be the next world champion? Uh, I'm I'm going with the Ray Alexander. She's already at black belt. She's already competed at the highest level, showing she can compete and win it all. So I feel like a Ray's gonna gonna get it. Do you get a chance to train with her much? Yeah, we we train a lot. That's like one of my main drilling partners, main training partners. We're all in the room together. We go hard. We go at it. So I feel like a Ray has some really really good jujitsu and. She's going to be able to. She's going to go out there and do her thing. So. Hey, Betsy O'Donovan. Yes, Chef Shaw. I noticed you've been wearing a new gi lately from Gold BJJ. In fact, I have. It's a gold weave gi from Gold BJJ, and I learned something kind of cool about it. And what was that? So I had to look this up on a towel website because this gold weave gi is advertised at 420 GSM, and GSM, according to the towel website, is grams per square meter, which means you want something really light but absorbent, and that's how you know you have a high quality towel or, in this case, gi. So it's durable but also light. It is. People have been grabbing me and throwing me all over the mat, and it no signs of wear and tear yet. In addition to this being a nice looking gi, I also like the price point. There just aren't very many gis on the market that you can find for less than a hundred bucks. It's a way more affordable gi than a lot of the big name gis, but the level of quality seems like it's much higher than the discount brands. Yeah, they also have a pretty cool guarantee. Every single product they make, including the gi, is guaranteed for a year. It's just no hassle, no questions asked, return, exchange, and guarantee policy. And plus, listeners of this show get a discount. You can go to goldbjj.com and enter Dirty White Belt 10 at checkout to get a discount. Thanks to Gold BJJ for sponsoring the show. And thanks to you for supporting the people who support us. Is there ever any accommodations for like for, for the female athletes where if like it oh well we're not going to go as hard or we're gonna, not going to try to use our strength or we're not going to use as much pressure like or like is it everybody because one of the things that you mentioned is that when you guys roll you guys are all rolling hard um, is there any accommodations or is there any thought to the fact that you're rolling women or are women treated all equally in the same when you're when you're training and rolling? Okay, so when we go with our female competitors, it's more of a watch your weight thing just like it is with anybody else if i'm going with a ray and she's a 120 pounder and there's a guy that's a 120 pounder i have the same watch your weight that i would have for the guy than the girl we don't go oh that's a girl be gentle things like that because if you do that with a ray she's just going to destroy you so when i train with a ray we go hard and the only thing i will say i may watch my weight so that because i'm 150 pound to 160 pound competitor i'm not going to be jumping on a 120 pound competitor whether it's a male or female, and we all are like that. So aside from watching our weight and not, like, using our weight advantage when we're going against small competitors, nothing else is the same. We're going hard no matter if it's a, a girl, a guy. We're going hard, so. That's right, so it's respecting the jiu-jitsu, not, like. Yeah, if you if you go out there with a ray and you think you're going to gonna roll light and because she's a girl, you're going to get destroyed. And then you're going to be on the side 
with all these thoughts in your head about what you should have did and all this, and now you just your whole training's messed up because you wanted to underestimate a competitor. You know, a raisman coming up competing with guys already anyway. She came up competing with boys and fighting in the boys division, so she's used to it. You know, and those guys weren't watching her weight; they weren't doing it. So she doesn't like if a Ray finds out somebody's trying to grapple her differently because she's a girl, they're just going to get it worse. So when you're working, so we're talking about size now, and when you're working with the kids, do you get do the kids get a chance to roll with you? Yeah, I try to roll with the kids as much as I can. We have some bigger kids closer to my size that I can really roll with, you know, and then we have some smaller kids that we roll around for fun, but we're still technical. We're still trying to help the kids out. So I, I roll with the, ch- the kids any chance I get. Like if my coach in the class, if we train it with the kids are in the room and they want to roll and my coach throws me with a kid, then I'll go, you know. So are you are you the primary instructor for the kids program? No, I'm not the head. The head instructor of our kids program is Donald Aikman. We call him Master Donnie or Master D. That's the person that I started with. He's the head of the kids program at our gym. He he brought me up as a kid all the way into adult. He's still my main coach now. Master Lloyd is also my main coach, but they work. They do a great job blending the kids and adults and working together. But I'm not the head of the kids program. I'm learning how to be a good kids instructor from Master Donnie. He's doing a good job teaching me and some of the other upper belts and the, the mid-level belts how to teach. So I came up when I was in the, like my teenage years. I would help assist him in the classes, and then I would learn how to teach from him, and he would teach me certain things that how to teach and how to approach kids and things like that. And now he entrusts me to teach certain classes with uh, my teammate Malachi. He entrusts us to teach certain kids' classes and he'll teach certain other kids' classes as well. So he trusts us, and he's taught us how to teach the kids' classes, but I wouldn't, I'm wouldn't. i not calling myself the head kids coach at all by far. I'm still a student. So what is your primary focus when you're teaching kids' classes or when you're teaching kids? With kids, you have to worry about teaching them character building as well as jiu-jitsu. You can't just focus on the, the jiu-jitsu. You know, we help them if they have good, good grades or bad grades. We focus on our grades. They have to be respectful, disciplined confident we focus on a lot of those things like in our gym we had these banners all the way across the walls i am confident i believe in myself i would do my best every day all the way down the wall we had these different signs and we really enforce that and we put that on the kids so that they come up confident no matter what they're doing whether they are getting their teenage years and they're doing something else or they're not even at the gym anymore they still have these lessons so for that i would say that comes first with the kids over anything and we do a great job blending it with our jiu-jitsu training and our striking training and self-defense to where the kids are really getting a good lesson overall, not just for sport. So do you start the kids off with sport jiu-jitsu first? Or how do, when they come in, what's their, like, how do you get the kids started? No, the kids that come in there in intro, they, they learn self-defense before anything and respect and discipline and how to, like, how to have control over their body. They learn a lot of things. They do jiu-jitsu, but they're not competing until they, they've been in and they've proven that they're focused and they want to move to the next level. Then they'll get on a competition team if they want. They can start doing their, their jiu-jitsu training on the weekends and things like that. And if they want to get serious, there's, they can get serious and start training and traveling like the kids' fans in California. Or they can stay and do what they... Like, we don't really force any kids to compete. We encourage every kid to try at least one tournament because you never know. You may be nervous, but you never know. It may be something you love to do. So we try to encourage every kid to do at least one tournament. We're not forcing kids to compete. They could be the best kid in the world. We're not forcing them to do anything. If the kid wants to compete, they compete. If they don't want to compete and they have a good reasoning, 
the computer. Even if they have a bad reasoning, we'll talk to them, see what it is, talk to the parents, and if the parents want them to compete and the kid doesn't, we'll try to work work it out, have the kid gain his confidence or whatever it is that's making him not want to compete. But some kids just, they don't mind competing, they just don't compete, and we have no issues with that at all. So a, a little bit of a switch in focus. I want to ask you about um, about your education and being uh, being being a, a student of Howard University. And um, so, what does it feel like to be um, to have your name alongside some of the Howard greats? Like we have like Ossie Davis, we have Tony Morrison, and Howard has like a prestigious um, list of alumni. And now they have like Jamil, like IBJJF World Champion. So what does that what does that feel like for you? Uh, I haven't even thought about that honestly. I wouldn't even put myself in a category with those greats and those legends yet. I'm still working on what I'm doing. I have a world title, but I want more. I could do better. I want to make an impact for my team and in my community. So um, I wouldn't put myself up there. But if someone else does and they really feel that way, then that's that's incredible. That's that's awesome that they think like that. So it's cool that people are, are saying that. But I, me personally. I'm not putting myself up there with legends yet. I'm just getting started with what I'm doing. I still have a lot to go in my journey, so I wouldn't put myself there yet. Um, did your classmates understand the significance of your achievement? Um, a few. Like a lot of my close friends know how hard I've been working. They they see all the sacrifices I've made. So when I won, they all messaged me and they get show a lot of support. And even a lot of students that I've never even met like on Twitter and online all over the social medias they they really showed a lot of support and were like favoring and retweeting and sending me messages and stuff people I've never even met before were like oh we seen you on campus you always got that Naga bag that big old bag walking around going to to and from your car to and from the metro so a lot of my classmates I guess recognized what I did and even if they didn't know what it was and they read like what the accomplishment was they all a lot of people congratulated me and, and showed their support for what I was doing um, what's the importance of outreach programs in jiu-jitsu camps, and how did it impact uh, your own life? Um, I feel like it's important if anywhere, anytime you can help a kid or anybody, especially a kid, though, get out of a situation that may not be as beneficial for them or that, that doesn't give them a chance to really grow and really show their talents and their hard work and be able to get to the highest level of what they're doing. And if there's someone that's willing to help them and people, organizations willing to help these kids and and bring them to better situations and allow them to, to not worry about the stresses they may have back at home, whatever situation they're in, I feel like those are, are great opportunities for them, you know? So tell me about the spider, your spiders, uh, your association with spider and um, and your plans to go to Korea and if you plan to travel or if you're going to train while you're there. Yeah, well, like I said, Spider is like an awesome company. They really treat me and all the athletes well. They they treat us really good when we're down there. I've been with them some, since March, and I fought twice. So I've gone to create a fight for them twice, and I'm, I've gone a third time just to go and do videos and commentary for the qualifying championships. I go back uh, to compete on July 21st. So in a couple weeks, I go back down there for the week to fight for the qualifiers. I have one fight, and I'm looking forward to uh, fighting with them. They're an awesome company. So what's next for you? Um, New York Pro is next weekend, and the week after that, I'm going to Korea to fight my match for a Spider uh, Championship qualifier. And after that, I'm not too sure. There's a lot of stuff coming up. I got to check. I'm trying to get more more seminars, teach more people, and share my jujitsu. I'm trying to compete. 
So whatever's in the schedule, I, I'm not too sure past there, but it's a lot planned for this summer. You don't plan on doing MMA eventually, do you? Uh, I have no passion right now to be striking and, and, and fighting, but I do love the sport. I love to watch it, and a lot of my teammates are, are fighting, and there people in the UFC, people getting into the UFC, fighting for UFC contract. People are really grinding at our gym in MMA, and I respect them, and I support them. But for me personally, it's not something I see myself doing anytime soon, but I'm always there to help and support my teammates that are, that are pursuing that goal, and I do whatever I can to help them. Thank you so much for talking to me. Do you have any last words before we say goodbye? Uh, no. Thank you to everybody at uh, Checkman Charlotte for having me, everyone that came to the seminar to support. I really appreciate it, and that's about it. Thank you. <laughs> Quick story from an old U.S. grappling tournament. U.S. grappling has always had the best tournaments around for both kids and adults, but Jason Bumpkin Wingate from Gracie Raleigh, a brown belt with tons of experience, was tasked with the kids' matches one day. Now, they always put their most experienced and best referees on the kids' matches because that's the future of the sport, the consequences are a little higher, and they just want people to be able to pay closer attention. Now, often, referees are underappreciated. It's a really tough job, and it's thankless. Nobody notices when you do it perfectly. Everybody notices when you screw it up. But Jason did such a great job that day that U.S. Grappling got letters from multiple parents about how attentive he was, about how he was right on top of the action, and about how clearly he cared about the kid's experience. That's the type of experience that I've come to expect from years of competing at U.S. Grappling. You can register online right now for U.S. Grappling Columbia, South Carolina on June 30th and U.S. Grappling Charlotte July 14th. It's going to be a lot of fun. Save you some money by registering early at usgrappling.com. My thanks to Jamil Hill-Taylor for giving us the time for that interview and to Lourdes for conducting it. Hey, if you'll be at Masters Worlds in Las Vegas in late August, come say hi to us. Both Lourdes and I will be there, and we'd love to get some more people on the show. So send us suggestions for interviews. You can get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play, and subscribe so you don't miss anything. And if you want to get a hold of us to suggest future show topics, you can email jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com or get at us on Instagram at Dirty White Belt or on our Facebook page, which is Cageside Radio. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. My name's Jeff Shaw. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again on Sunday. Music.